throughout eternity to encompass all of human history. And, and God just, just shows us how much you love us. Speak to us, your children, in the name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. If you have your Bibles, we will be in Mark chapter 8. So you can go ahead and be turning there. A couple of announcements that I would just like to emphasize this morning. We do have baptism next Sunday. If that's uh, something that you need to be a part of, please let us know so we can talk about that. Also, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have our Next Steps class. So if you've been visiting with us for one week or three weeks or eight weeks or six months or however long, and you've got an interest in what it might be like to be a part of Malvern Hill, there's no commitment on your part for just showing up. Uh, but you have an opportunity to learn about our church and We'll have an opportunity to learn about you, and you can ask all kinds of questions. Um, I'll lead that, and we will meet right over there in the conference room, which is right behind that exit sign this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So I would encourage you to be here. We usually have a good time with that. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Hear now, for this is the Word of the Lord. The Bible says this. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you give us eyes to see. Father God, not trees as men, and men as trees, but Lord God, eyes to see Jesus, to behold him clearly. Father God, and to proclaim his goodness and his glory to the world around us. I pray, God, you'd show us how it is that we may grow in godliness. Father God, that we might not be despaired when life is hard, but that, Father God, we find hope in knowing that God's will for us is to grow up in Him. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you see? You know, when Jesus comes into our lives, He saves us, but He doesn't stop by changing our name and our eternal address. He who begins a good work in us and in you has a plan to see it completed. He makes you and me into what we were created to be. This morning, we see a man who should remind many of us of our own spiritual journey, a man who was born blind, but who had people that loved him enough to bring him to the Savior. The man met Jesus, and blind though he was, suddenly he could see. But being in the presence of Jesus, this man wanted more than just to see. He wanted to fully behold Christ and as he looked up, Jesus gradually gave him more than just sight. He gave him understanding and awe and excitement and joy. And he gave him the opportunity and the ability to worship Jesus. This morning, what do you see? What do you see? I want you to know that God's desire for you is that you grow up in Christ. I want you to know this morning that when we consider the process of sanctification... Well, let's just back up. We consider our salvation that God has in mind for us more 
than being saved instantaneously, more than being justified and forgiven for our sins, more than having heaven laid up for us. He has in mind for us that our entire lives would be changed and transformed to His image, that everything about us would be reoriented so that we would look more like Christ. But I'll just be honest, I, I, I encounter a lot of people that don't seem to fully understand what it is, what it means, how it's possible to move past that first step. How is it that I grow in godliness? Craig, help me to understand how do I become a godly father, a godly mother? Craig, help me to understand how I become a godly wife or a godly husband. How, how is it that I, as a single person, live out the command, the expectation of Christ in my life? Craig, how can I get this mouth of mine sanctified? How can my desires be changed and altered? Well, can I tell you that if you're asking those questions, you're already in the right direction. See, the flip side of that is, I encounter a good number of folks who claim to be followers of Jesus and don't look like Jesus at all. One of my kids looked at me the other day and, and said, I just wanted to make you proud. I said, you're my kid. You, you make me proud because you're my child. You don't have to make me proud. I am proud of you. Right? Uh, but, but I'm going to tell you, our, our kids look like us for better or worse. Okay? And especially the little ones. Um, it's funny how Sloan and Brooklyn came into our life and then started looking like us over time. Now, obviously, they kind of look the same. They're all blonde-headed and blue-eyed. I mean, we get all that. I don't know how the Lord's plan for that worked, but it did. Um, but over time, their sense of style began to mimic, bless their hearts, their fathers. Um, and we can pray their mothers. Uh, but, but why? Well, it's really pretty simple because we buy their clothes. You know, but over time they begin to look like us. They they begin to dress, and, and and if you've never thought about that, your family has a certain sense of style. Your your kids and you and and, and your wife or your husband, whatever, y'all all kind of have a certain way that you dress. Okay, we all do. Uh, athletic families tend to wear lots of, of of athletic shoes. Non-athletic families tend to not wear lots of athletic shoes. Right? My boys don't go out of the house without tennis shoes on because with flip-flops on, they can't run. And a five-year-old who can't run, in, in his mind, the whole world has ended. Okay? Um, that's, not, like, that's not a judgment thing. It's just different. Right? Everybody just has their own things. Basketball families, they, they, I was talking with a fellow the other day, and he was telling me their whole family. He's coach, I mean, he was telling me all the different basketball teams his kids are playing on. Like all, every kid at every age is playing on a basketball team, and he and his wife are each coaching a basketball team. And, 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 and I mean, so he was like, yeah, I mean, we got these shorts and these shoes. He said, and my daughter, we had to get her three pairs of shoes. I said, holy cow, what in the world is going on? But then my wife told me how many pairs of shoes that my kids needed, and I just cried. All that long thing to say that we, we look like our parents. There's a family resemblance. And if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Him, and I'm saying if you do, there will be a family resemblance. You can't help it. He begins to rub off. Okay? But how do we get there? This morning in this passage of Scripture, now, side note, and you take this home and you can tuck this away as something that will be like a Jeopardy question one day. Um, this miracle account of Jesus 
is one of the accounts that is often pointed to as evidence for the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the Gospels. Because those um, who study such things point out that anybody who wanted us to believe that Jesus was everything he claimed to be wouldn't have imagined a situation where the miracle wasn't instantaneous and amazing. All right. So the fact that this is a little different and odd and off the wall and, and that Jesus seems to have to give two touches here, they give us evidence, hey, that's my Bible reading guide we just lost. I hope you have one. You need to be reading your Bible. Um, but uh, anyway, you just take that and put it in your pocket for a Jeopardy question one day. That's not what we're going to talk about mostly this morning. What does it mean to grow in Christ? What do you see this morning? The first thing we've got to do, the first thing that you've got to do, if you want to grow in godliness, the first step in spiritual formation is to show up. Show up. Come into the presence of the Lord. But look, not just come into the presence of the Lord. I I want us to consider the missional implications in this particular situation that this man didn't just come into the presence of the Lord. He was brought into the presence of the Lord. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But right now, I want you to consider, if you have a desire to grow in godliness, are you showing up in God's presence? Are you showing up? Now, obviously, you're here this morning, so that's a good first step. But are you consistently Finding yourself in the presence of the Lord, whether it's through personal spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading your Bible, attending life group here, attending worship, doing other things that get you into the presence of the Lord. Are you regularly doing those things? Can I tell you that the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you're going to look like Jesus. All right? The more time we spend around people, the more we begin to look like people. Luke Talbert sent me a text message this morning on a group text uh, me, Angela, and Patty are all involved, and Luke sent me a text message, or one of them did, and someone made fun of me all the way from Latvia, which I didn't fully appreciate. And I sent a reply back, and then there another reply came back, and at the same time, Luke and I sent a reply that was related to one another. Used the same word and everything. I said, man, I can't believe that we think this much alike. The more time you... Ginger's over there shaking her head. Yes, it's terrible. The more time you spend with people, the more you begin to think like they do and look, look like they do. You, see, you ever notice that husband and wife that have been married for 50 years and somehow or other they begin to look like each other? I don't know how that works, but uh, not any of y'all. Most of you ladies are way prettier than that. But uh, for some people, it happens like that. we got to show up in the presence of the Lord. All right. If you want to grow in godliness, you've got to be in His presence. But it's not just that we're going to show up and be in His presence. I want us to consider the missiological implications for this. Somebody brought this man to Jesus. Folks, who is it in your life that you want to see grow in godliness? Have you brought them to Jesus? Have you brought them to the pres- into the presence of the Lord? Now, notice that they brought Him. He was blind. Folks, do you understand that your lost neighbor, your lost relative, your lost loved one is blind according to God's Word? They are dead in their trespasses and sins. The Bible says that the spirit of the age has blinded their eyes so they cannot see. What do they need? They need a guide to get them there. The Bible says that somebody grabbed this man by the hand. Do you know what these, these friends of this blind man didn't do? They didn't say, Jesus is over there. Why don't you walk over there and find him? Why didn't they do that? Because he was blind. Imagine how mean that would have been. And yet how often do we find ourselves directing people to the Lord 
without grabbing them by the hand and walking them there. Parents, how often do you find yourselves directing your children to the Lord without grabbing them by the hand and walking them there? There is great wisdom here. Parents, listen. You have a responsibility to lead your children to the Lord. I'm going to say it again. You have a responsibility to lead your children to the Lord. Not point at Him over there and say, go find Him. Take them by the hand and lead them there. Right? You have a responsibility to do that. Somewhere, many people in our culture have adopted a very modern idea that we should sort of leave our kids alone and trust them to work out their own religious understanding that maybe when they get older, they'll make the right decisions, that we should sort of allow them to own their faith. Rather than tell you what I think about that, I'm going to ask you some questions. How do you teach your kids to cross the street? Just curious. How do you teach your kids to swim? Do you tell them directions to the nearest swimming pool and walk away? Do you say, hey, four-year-old, go out there into the street and just figure out how to cross it. Look both ways, but I'm not going to watch. Well, but Craig, those are little kids. I mean, for teenagers... You wouldn't do that. They, they've got to own their faith. Did you teach them to drive by handing them the keys to your car and saying, go out there and figure it out? You see, folks, we're living as hypocrites when we create this argument that we don't have a responsibility to lead them spiritually, but we lead them in every other significant life decision because we don't want them to die and we don't want them to wreck our car. We've got a responsibility to grab them by the hand and lead them. Grabbing them by the hand and leading them means that we take them to the dangerous situations in life. And yes, we tell them what is the right choice to make and then eventually expect that they will be able to make those right choices. We want them to own their faith, but they can't own it unless we've presented it to them. So when I teach my kids to cross the street, I teach them a little song. Have I ever taught y'all this song before? I'm going to sing it, and y'all are going to make fun of me for the rest of my life. But when they're little, I mean real little, we begin singing a song when we come up to a street. And, and I'll just not sing it real well. We'll just kind of do the rhyme. But when, I, when you go to cross the street, look out where you put your feet. Look both ways and be alert, because if a car hits you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I got a few others. I won't give them to you. But look, I take them to the street, and I hold their hand, and I hold it firmly. There have been times when they made it to the street corner, and I jerked them. You know what I didn't say? I didn't say, well, just make your own choice. I want you to own your safety. No, because I am responsible for their safety until they reach a certain age. And so I walk them to that street. Now, I don't just drag them across without teaching them. I don't just drag them to the church and throw them in and say, figure it out on your own. I walk them there, and then I usher them through the process. I disciple them. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach them the things of the Lord. Grab them by the hand and lead them. Now, we're going to go to meddling for just a minute. So grab on to something. Okay? One of the most important things that you as parents can do that most of you are not doing right now. And when I say most of you, I say most of you speaking from a statistical perspective, not from a perspective of having gauged any of you or done a, a careful analysis of our church body. Okay? 
But statistically speaking, most parents are not grabbing their children by the hand and carefully walking them through the dangers that are posed on the internet and social media. Okay? You want them to grow up in godliness? You want them to look more like Jesus? You had better be protecting them from the dangers that exist on social media. You Listen to me. If you have a child under the age of 25 who's on social media, they're in danger. I'm, and I'm, I'm not being 100% sarcastic there. Okay? But in all honesty, under the age of 16, they are in very significant danger. What is social media? It's everything that is social and is media. Even those creepy ones that are geared toward children. Okay? So, you know, Facebook will let you on at 13. But mom, if you'll just let your kid lie, they can be on at like 6 or whatever they want. Why do they need to be there? The, the, the Musical.ly app where they can go and make their own little music videos. It's filled with porn. And you're giving this to your 8-year-old kid and saying go make a music video without carefully considering who it is that might have access to them. Or, or the kinds of images that they're comparing themselves to. We see this incredible rise in children who are depressed. Incredible rise in children with anxiety, with eating disorders that are making a comeback, and suicide attempts that are making a comeback. And in large part, because as parents, we've not got carefully guarded what's coming into our homes and what our children are being exposed to. And our 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old little girls are comparing themselves to some ridiculous celebrity somewhere, and then they've, they've developed this eating disorder as a result. You say, Craig, what's that have to do with Jesus? It has everything to do because the process of discipling our kids and raising them up to be like, like Jesus is walking them carefully through the minefields and the obstacles of life. Walking them into the places where they can grow in holiness and protecting them from the places where they can be destroyed. Just like you would never grab your kid by the hand and throw them at a street and walk away, we shouldn't do that when it comes to our children's online presence. Okay? Last thing I'm going to say about this and we'll move on. Nobody under the age of 18 should have a mobile device, a computer, any electronic device in their bedroom, period after dark, at all, behind a closed door. You're not smart enough to keep them from hacking into something they want to get to. Because, and you say, Craig, why do you know that? Because our school district pays people thousands of dollars every single year to keep kids from getting onto websites they shouldn't be on. And ask our teachers how many of our kids end up on websites they shouldn't be on. Your home network is not that secure. And if they have a cellular device, guess what? You've got no control. Okay? Face reality. Face reality. You are inviting bullies into your home. You're inviting them to bully others. Show up. Part of showing up is grabbing people by the hand and bringing them. Who do you know that needs to come to the Lord? I'm talking to parents right now and the responsibility they have to bring their children to the Lord so their children can grow up in the Lord. But who do you know? It might be a husband. It could be a wife. It might be a mom. It might be a co-worker, a friend. Who do you know that needs to come to the Lord? Have you actually been willing to take them by the hand and say, let me teach you, let me take you to Jesus? Let me take you there. What does it look like for you to do that? 
Have you been willing to look at somebody and say, I would love it if you would come to church with me on Sunday. I can come by and pick you up. Or I can meet you out front. Or if you're uncomfortable and you're not sure what to wear, you tell me what you want to wear and I'll match you. Well, I don't know if I should show up in jeans. You Look, you can tell people that everybody here wears jeans, but some people are still uncomfortable. So look at them and say, yeah, a lot of people wear jeans. I tell you what, I'm going to show up in jeans on Sunday morning so you'll know that at least one other person is going to be there just like that. Well, you know, I've not been to church in a long time, so I'm kind of uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I'll sit with you in the balcony if that makes you feel more comfortable. Whatever it takes. Are you willing to take somebody by the hand and bring them to Jesus? Right? The first step in growing in godliness is to show up in the presence of the Lord. Because guess what? He might just save you. Pretty incredible, isn't it? We have no idea what might happen when we put somebody in the presence of the Lord. You have no idea what He might do in your own life when you find yourself regularly in the presence of the Lord. So if you want to grow, the first thing is to show up. The second thing is to look up. The second thing is to look up. The Bible says that Jesus laid his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? Now, that's pretty incredible because he said, I, I, I see something. I see men, but they just kind of look like trees walking around. You see, the Bible says that when Jesus touched him, the man gained his sight. Do you see that? Let me tell you something. When God saves you, it's not a process. It's a moment. On that moment, you are quickened. Your soul is stirred and your life is saved instantaneously instantaneously okay that's a picture that we have right here the minute jesus touched him the bible says that his vision returned he gained his sight but the bible says his sight was not yet as it could be it wasn't fully developed it wasn't perfect at this point in the presence of the lord he was given sight but his sight was only partial he looked around he saw people they looked like trees folks isn't this what life to a new believer kind of looks like Isn't this what life to a new believer looks like? There's vision, a glorious vision, but staring into the bright morning of this new life, things don't fully make sense. Are you a new believer today who looks at these wonderful, incredible, grand doctrines of God and they sort of confuse you? Are you a new believer who reads the Bible and sometimes it just leaves your head kind of spinning? Maybe you're a a newer believer or someone who has just never studied the Word of God and you begin reading it and you come across things in the Bible and the first time you read them, they kind of make you angry or they make you sad or they make you frustrated because they don't seem to fit the narrative that you expected. See, this man looked up and he saw men, but they looked like trees. Sometimes we look up at the things of the Lord and we don't see them as they should be. They look like something else. Sometimes even the grand doctrines of God appear to be oppressive and intimidating. But yet the Bible says that Jesus wasn't finished with him. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him and the man looked up. Folks, have you looked up yet? Have you looked up? Have you looked up to consider who it is that's touched you? The man looked at the trees. Jesus said, I need you to look right here. Jesus wasn't finished. Jesus gave another touch. Jesus reoriented his vision. This man knew he was looking at other men with new vision. His brain couldn't fully make sense of what it was that his eyes beheld. He had to have his vision calibrated. Folks, have there been times in your life when you just couldn't make sense of what it was you were looking at? There have been times in your life when your Christian life didn't seem to make sense. I'm so glad we sang that song, and I was wrong. Once we began to sing it, I did know that song. I remembered it once we began to sing it. I'm so glad we sang that song. 
just to be reminded that at times in our life, things don't go the way that we kind of want them to or the kind of way we expect them to. But if we're not careful, the thing that we begin to do is we begin to look down and we begin to look around and we neglect to look up. You see, when I look right here, when I look right here just out in front of me, sometimes the world can seem abysmal and dark. I had a young man yesterday, and he was just down and depressed. I said, look around at all these people. He's walking like this, and he was just so discouraged. I said, look up. And he kept, I said, look up and look around. Look at all these people. Look at all these people. Don't look there. The ground will give you nothing. Look up. Folks, when's the last time you looked up? See, many of you have probably experienced the incredible miracle of God's salvation in your life. But you've not yet elevated your vision beyond the horizon. We left somewhere yesterday. We were driving in the car and Angela said, wow, look at, look at the sunset. Look at the sunset. She said to the kids, look out, look out the front window. Look. You know, I was focused on the road. I was driving. But she said, look up. I slowed down first. Make sure I didn't hit anything. Look up. Look beyond your circumstances, beyond your surroundings. The Bible says this man looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. Some of you are in desperate need of a further touch from the Lord. Would you look up today? Would you look past the things around you that hold you down? Would you look past your sins and your shame Would you look past the obstacles in your life and look up? Look up to see the glory of the Lord. Imagine for this young man, he looked up. See, he saw men, but they looked like trees, but Jesus touched him. He looked up. Who did he see? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus touched him again. He reoriented his vision, he recalibrated, and there was a chance for growth. What's it look like? What do you see? Do you see Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? Do you see Him? Do you see Him or do you see your surroundings? You remember the story of Peter getting out of the boat? We sang this morning about the Jesus, the God who walks on the water and speaks to the seas. The story of Peter, we've looked at that together. That Peter got out of the boat and as long as he kept his eyes locked on Jesus, he walked on the waters. But the moment that the storm around him became bigger than the God of his circumstances, the moment that he began to look at the sea and the waves, the Bible says that Peter began to sink. He began to cry out, Lord, save me. Folks, what are you looking at? See, when you look at all the things around you, when your vision looks like this, it can be real easy for us to grow discouraged to live in despair. It can be real easy for our Christian growth to stifle and stagnate. Look up. Look up at the God who saved you. Look up. Don't look around here at all these things. Look beyond these things. Look to the tomorrow. Look to the future. Look to the full confidence that everything around you may seem to be falling apart. But the God who is in charge of all of these things, is working all of them together for your good and for His glory. All things. Look up. So what does it look like to grow in God? Let's show up in the presence of the Lord. Look up at the Lord. And then finally this morning, grow up. 
You know, the normal expectation for human beings is that we grow up. You see, when we don't, we don't, we don't work hard to grow. We just sort of naturally grow. And in fact, when people don't grow, it is, it is against nature. Obstacles have gotten in the way. I'm supposed to have, well, let me rephrase this. Next year will be my 20th high school reunion. I don't know if I'll go, but, but if I do, you know, people may look at me and say, wow, Craig, you haven't changed a bit. You look the same as you do. I say, I know. No, they won't, will they? They'll say, wow, that is one gray beard. And I say, yeah, I know. But you know, I, I won't show up at that 20th reunion and people go, man, I can't believe that you grew up. They won't do that. When my kids go and, and see somebody, the holidays are coming, and so we'll see some, some, some family members that we probably haven't seen in a year. Nobody will go, man, I can't believe that kid grew. But you know, if, if we showed up and they were still the same size, somebody might say, what's going on? Why, why is their growth stunted? You see, growth is the expectation that unless something gets in the way, kids grow, unless there's an outside influence. Christians, listen to me, young Christian, i got really good news for you. You will grow up in Christ. Do you hear me? Those of you that are discouraged today, you're going, you know what? I, I see these people around me and, and they seem to just have this incredible walk with the Lord. They seem to know the Bible. They, they seem to just not, not worry. They've got confidence. Listen to me. You will grow up. You will. That's the encouragement I have for you. You can grow up in the Lord Jesus. Not only can you, the Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians that it's God's will for you. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's God's will that you would grow. What does that mean? That unless you work against the will of God, you will grow in godliness. I like what Greg Mathis, Greg Mathis is pastor at Mud Creek Baptist Church in Hendersonville. He says, God is able... And we'll do his part in sanctification. But I must be willing to accept my responsibility and say no to the flesh, the devil, and the world. You see, if I will resist all those sinful temptations, then God will step in. And, 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 and he's going to give me all the things I need to grow in godliness. Christians will grow up as long as they choose to starve their sinful desires and feed their godly desires. Sanctification is supposed to be progressive. Now look, it can be regressive if instead of honoring the Lord, you choose to pursue sinful desires. But as long as you will pursue Christ, God's going to grow you up. You're not going to always look like a one-year-old Christian. You'll grow up and look like a gray-headed, gray-bearded old Christian one day. And somebody will go, well, look at you. Look at all that gray hair. Except in your case, it'll be a compliment. Is they'll say, tell me how it is that you grew so... How did you learn so much? How is it that you have so much confidence? Why don't you worry? Why aren't you anxious? And you're going to be able to say, God's filled me up. He's filled up all those holes in my life. They say, but how did you get there? You say, you know what? I, I, I showed up into His presence. I spent time in His Word. And what the Lord showed me is that so much of my life 
I'd looked around at all of my problems and all of my concerns, but God reoriented my vision, and I began to look up at Jesus. When I began to look up, what I noticed is I began to grow up. I began to stretch my legs. Listen to me. Sin has no authority over anyone who is in Christ. Believer, listen to me. Sin has no authority. You are no longer under sin's dominion. You have received a new identity. You have died to that old kingdom. You have been raised through Christ into the new kingdom. And in that kingdom, God reigns. And sin has been defeated. You do not need to submit to the yoke of slavery from your past. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new identity. You've been given a brand new home. We used to sing a song in my home church. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Y'all remember that one? You've been given a brand new home. A new address. You didn't even have to pay for it. He bought it with his own blood on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says that Jesus has gone on to prepare a place for you and for me. He wants us to live with him. He wants us to be in his presence. And guess what? He doesn't want to bring baby Christians along. He wants to grow you up. You are a child of the king. And as his child, you have been given full access to all of the treasures, all of the glories, all of the privileges of a son in God's kingdom. You can grow. You see, sanctification is, is not really an option in the Christian life. Sanctification is the natural growth of the Christian life. I, I, I used to talk a whole lot about how sanctification was expected. And even though that is true in some sense of the word, I'm afraid sometimes that if we talk so much about how sanctification is expected, that we miss the grace aspect. Sanctification in the Christian life is expected because God brings it about. You understand? It's, it's expected in as much as that is the natural progression of your life in Christ. See, sanctification is not the option for the super-Christian. It's not like Billy Graham got sanctified and everybody else just kind of falls by the wayside somewhere. No, because every one of you that have given your life to Jesus Christ has been made a co-heir with Jesus. Every single one of you has been made a co-heir with Christ. A child of the king. And as a child, your clothes start looking like his clothes. What are his clothes? Jesus is dressed in righteousness and holiness. Your actions begin to look like his actions. You begin to display 
the hands and the feet of Jesus. Your vocabulary begins to look like Jesus' vocabulary. You ever known those people that prayed in the King James? Yeah, I, I mean, seriously. Again, and I'm, I'm not... Do you know why? Some, some folks sort of pray in a King James English, maybe because they grew up in a church and the people in that church prayed that way. But I'm going to tell you why a lot of people, especially older folks from another generation, some folks even within our own body probably, tend to pray in a King James. It's not because they're trying to be holier than you. It's because they've spent time in the Word of God. And the Bible that they grew up on was the King James Bible. And the more time they spent in that Bible, the more it changed the kinds of words and the kinds of language that they used. And so when they had to find a way to speak to the Lord, they spoke to the Lord in the words that they had used or that they had had, had opportunity to, to have access to as they were learning about the Lord. It's not that the King James is God's voice or, or God's language. It's just that the King James Bible was the language that God used to reveal Himself to them. And the more time they spent with him, the more that their vocabulary began to look like him. Began to sound like him. You might not ever pray in the King James, but do you know that you can have the voice of Jesus? You can think God's thoughts and speak speak his words. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Icebergs are pretty cool. You know, you only see a sliver of them on the top, and the rest of it is under the water. But as they, as they melt, some of it runs off, and more of the iceberg floats up to the top, and the sun melts some more, and some more floats up, and it melts some more. Over time, that melting process begins to, to, to wear away different parts that had never even been exposed to the sun before. Sanctification in your life is kind of like, see, there's, there's these parts that have not yet been exposed to the sun. S-O-N. They're the parts of your life that you've not yet given Him access to. You see, it's, it's not that you're not growing up in Christ. It's not that He's not wanting to do the work of sanctification and, sal- and, 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 and salvation in your life. It's that you have worked diligently to hide those things from Him. They're the guarded things in your life. The ugly things that you don't want to expose to anybody. You see, because deep down, there's two things. One, sometimes we're not yet ready to let God take control because we just don't trust that when He takes control, it'll be what He says it'll be. But see, there's another thing, and sometimes our shame takes over. And see, we're, we're afraid that even God might not love us if He knew that part. Check this out. He knows all the parts. And He loves you anyway. And you see, here's what His desire is to do. Expunge your record. So this morning... I'm kind of preaching to the choir. You see, this sermon is is mostly geared towards those of you who who have already had Jesus touch your eyes and give you vision. 
See, see, for most of you who can say with John Newton, I once was blind, but now I see. See, my, my desire for you today is to move past seeing men as trees and to behold Jesus for all that He is. To look up beyond the horizon and to grow up in godliness. To trust Jesus to take you to the next level in your spiritual journey. To trust that He does love you as much as His Word says. But even as we do, I recognize there may be some of you here today who have never known the Lord. You still live blinded by your sin and your shame. Blinded by maybe those who have sinned against you. Today, Jesus is ready to give you eyes to see and a heart to believe and a mind to receive all that He has. So this morning, as we stand and sing in just a minute, some of you believers in Jesus may want to come this morning and pray, Lord God, I need to grow. God, show me the things in my life that I need to walk away from that I may have more of you. Some of you may need to come and pray, Lord God, help me to look up and grow up, Lord. There's somebody here today that may need to come say, Pastor Craig, today, today, I want Jesus to take these blind eyes and show me the light. Would you come as the Lord directs? Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, you are good to us. And Father, you have given us eyes to see, ears to hear hearts to believe and minds to perceive of all that you've done. May we, Father, look beyond our circumstances and see Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.